Welcome to the Happy Saver podcast. I'm Ruth, a personal finance blogger right here in little old New Zealand. And in this podcast, I chat to a diverse bunch of people. I learn their story and I condense it down so that you can hear helpful, relatable stories from Kiwis who are sharing their experiences, their tips and point of view on personal finance here in New Zealand. So let's crack on with today's episode. This week, I'm sharing the story of early retiree Brendan. We've met in person many times now, even more so since he moved to my part of the Motu, Central Otago, in late 2021. And I have always found him a relatively quiet and contemplative kind of guy. So I was delighted when he took the time, because let's face it, he has heaps, to share with me just how, at the young age of just 39, you manage to have enough money that you never need to work again. But before I get into it, let's just hear from Pocketsmith, today's sponsor. Every time I'm visiting my Pocketsmith dashboard, my emergency fund balance is staring me in the face. Nice and bold and just there. And I always relax when I see it, knowing that if some unexpected big bill comes up, I can cover it. Pocketsmith caters for all walks of life, and I worked out how much I should have in this fund by using the Pocketsmith income and expense statement, which had been automatically tracking every single expense, to work out my monthly average spend, which is entirely unique to me. From time to time, I dip into it, maybe for a car repair, maybe for an emergency vet bill, and it just instantly cures a financial headache, giving me a sense of calm control over our finances. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, they've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. As with many of the people I interview for my podcast, I got to know Brendan over email when he started asking me a few money-related questions back in 2019. And then over the years, he's visited family in central Otago, and he stopped by for a coffee a couple of times. As he has followed along with my blog, The Happy Saver, I've also followed along with his blog, which you can find at bikingpheasant.com. So that's pheasant as in the bird. His is about bikepacking, mountain biking, and various running, hiking, and travel adventures, and a bit of a journey of the interesting things he likes to do. The places he goes across Aotearoa and the photos he takes are just absolutely stunning, so do go and check it out. The reason I particularly wanted to chat with Brendan was because in late 2021, at the age of just 39, he has reached financial independence, and he has retired from full-time permanent work, or put simply, he said, I don't have to work for a living anymore. He has retired 26 years before the standard retirement age of 65. You just don't get to hear from people like Brendan, especially not here in New Zealand. So I think this episode is going to give you a bit of food for thought. Not too many people of his age can say, I'm retired. But just six months into his new retired life, he's finding that there is a lot to like about it. So Brendan grew up in rural Tauranga, up in the Western Bay of Plenty, and he has a younger sister who he's really close to. Growing up, he had a bit of an awareness of money. His family were not dirt poor, but nor were they affluent, but they got by and he doesn't remember any specific advice, either good or bad, being handed out, but he does recall that his dad was, and is, a bit of a spender, but his mum has always been a saver, with a dislike of debt. 
This might be explained by the fact that his mum grew up in post-war London before moving with her family to Australia, and his dad grew up over here in New Zealand. He had to do household chores for a small financial reward using a tick chart to mark jobs off and getting paid at the end of the week. And from the get-go, he was a saver, putting a small portion aside in his bank. As he got older, he mowed lawns and that sort of stuff, and he remembers in high school having a $60 monthly allowance for buying clothes, for entertainment and the like. This really helped him learn to budget and learn the value of dollars earned and how far they would stretch. It taught him not to fritter money away or there wouldn't be any left for more meaningful purchases. In his early years, which were in the 80s, the good old 80s, his parents had an orchard but ended up losing a lot of money. So his dad went back to work in the business side of the farming sector and his mum worked as a stay-at-home mum. They rented houses for a while until his parents bought their own home when Brendan went to intermediate school. Because his mum was from overseas, they would set money aside for travel and every few years they would take a trip back to visit family and from those experiences, Brendan really came to love travel. Brendan was a good student, particularly when it came to math. Academically, it was easy, he said, and although he found the likes of accounting and economics really boring, still, he was really, really good at it. It's just numbers, he said. He finished school on a high, becoming ducks, saying of school that he was not the most social person, but he survived. His dad's job had him travelling all over the country, and shortly after Brendan finished school, his parents and sister moved down to North Otago, which is down in the South Island. He went his own way, heading to Massey University in Palmerston North, where he completed a four-year Bachelor of Engineering degree. And you know I had to ask, how did he pay for it? Well, he took out a student loan because he said, it's just what you did. He considered it free money and he didn't think twice about it, which is pretty much the standard response of unfortunately come to expect. As part of his degree, he had to do summer engineering work but he didn't work during semester time, and reflecting back and knowing what he knows now, he says he would have worked a part-time job throughout university, meaning he would have come out with a much smaller student loan at the end of it. For each year of study, he took on about $9,000 of student loan debt. Half of that was fees, the remainder was course-related costs and living expenses. Plus, he used the money from his summer jobs to top up his spending over the year. Occasionally, his parents would give him some money, but That was not regular and it couldn't be budgeted for. Plus, he got a few scholarships in his first year. He was encouraged by his school to apply and that got him a couple of grand and actually led to his first engineering-related summer job. Much like he had at home, he continued to keep an eye on his money, even as he slid into debt. He had started to create spreadsheets and keep track of spending in his bank book too. He thinks he might have had access to an overdraft with his bank, but he never actually used it, thank goodness. And he finished his course at the end of 2004, and he would have been just 22 years old. So what advice does Brendan have for those starting out and looking to head into tertiary study? He said to start saving up while you are still in school, so you can pay for as much of your study in cash as you can, and to work while you study too. He also chose his specific degree because he knew he would get a job that he would like at the end of it, and he knew that the job it would lead to would be well paid and enough to pay off his student loan easily. Reflecting back, he realises now that had he paid cash for his study, he would have retired even earlier because he wouldn't have given up future income to pay off old debt. But as he sat explaining this to me, he said he's not that cut up about it, about the route he took, but had he had more information going in, he might have given more thought to what he was doing. 
And this is the point of these podcasts, showing people that there are options to live a debt-free life, but you just have to start saving early. Brendan was always a saver, but without debt-free study being a goal, he didn't know at the time to save up for it. It took a couple of months to get a job after finishing uni, so he took the opportunity to do a family trip over in Australia before starting a job in late Feb of 2005 with New Zealand Steel at Glenbrook, which is south of Auckland. His starting salary was $40,000, paid fortnightly, and he was learning the ropes in ironmaking. He went flatting with someone who had just bought a house, he continued living more or less like a broke student, started getting into biking, and he got his first credit card, which he actually still uses today. Given he said to me early in our chat that at the age of 13 he could explain how banks worked, he knew how credit cards worked too, and having used one ever since, he has never missed a payment and never paid one single cent in interest. He further developed his homemade spreadsheet and was tracking his spending and his income. It was not and still is not super detailed, but one of the keys to his success and his tip for others is to track everything you spend, and to this day he still does. So now he had an annual salary of 40 grand, but he realised that he also had a student debt of $36,000, which at that time also incurred interest. So he began to aggressively pay it down, putting $300 a fortnight towards it. An election came and went, and in 2006, the Labour government removed interest payments on student loan for all borrowers resident in New Zealand. So the mathematician within immediately took over and he stopped his extra payments and began only paying the percentage that they garnished from his wages each fortnight, which he thinks was about 10%, but today it's 12%. But instead of spending that now surplus student loan money, he took the advice of friends who appeared to be well off, and he visited their financial advisor. Now that advisor steered him into some kind of ing-managed fund. It was something conservative, he said, and he ended up with two ING funds, But this first fund got his surplus student loan money, but now it earned interest. And apart from still having a big chunk of debt, it felt logical to him to invest. He felt no downside to having a student loan now. And I always find this logic really interesting. The thought that because it is interest-free, you shouldn't make any effort at all to pay it off. And my take on it is that because it is interest-free, now is the time to smash it out. Because who knows, a government gives, but it also taketh away. Who's to say they won't reintroduce interest one day? Brendan simply said, but that doesn't make mathematical sense when he could earn interest elsewhere with that money. And my thinking is, what if the investment doesn't pan out and he loses money? At least if he pays off $100 of debt, that debt is gone forever. He also briefly explained to me that ING got into some sort of bother and that money of his actually got held up for a number of years in some kind of bungle. He did get it back in the end, and it did all work out in the end. But I do meet many people who apply Brendan's logic, and it does not pan out in the end. They pick a dud investment, lose money, and then they still have the student loan. So just be careful trying to be all fancy on it, is my thought. In his second year at work, his salary increased to $45,000 and then up to $52,000. Then after only two years, he was promoted to a supervisor role and his salary shot up to $100,000. He was working hard for his money, doing 12-hour shifts and falling into the world of shift work, but the money was great. This income and amount of responsibility was ridiculous for someone so young, he said, and he said it was hard, dirty, shitty, hot work supervising rugged men 
and it left him absolutely fatigued at the end of a working week. But despite that, he said he really felt like he had fallen on his feet. Hard work does have its rewards. When KiwiSaver began in 2007, he didn't join because he was in the very generous New Zealand Steel Super Scheme, where he put in $1 and they put in 2 Plus, there were also share offers you could take up. This was a form of compulsory saving for him. This now much higher income also meant his student loan compulsory payments went through the roof, and the upshot was that the $36,000 loan was paid off in just four years, yet still he lived a frugal life with his splurge being lots of mountain biking trips over New Zealand and buying a new bike to do them on. And during four-day breaks between shifts, he explored on his bike and he managed to fit in a few overseas trips around work, all paid with cash, of course. Plus, no status anxiety here. He was still driving a student car, a 1990 Mitsubishi Galant, such a classic. Now, all the while, he was saving into those managed funds of his, and it was always a given for Brendan that at some point he would head overseas to do the great Kiwi OE, that is, get out of our country and our comfort zone and go and see a bit more of the world, call in on distant Fano and learn about the geography and the history of other places. A Kiwi cousin conveniently got married in Tuscany, so he took six weeks off, boarded a plane with his parents, and they went to the wedding and then on to the UK. He was scoping it out to move there and he liked it so much that he came back with the view to work towards an OE. Plus by this point, which was around 2008, the shift work he was doing was really starting to wear on him. It was in around 2009, he said, that his dad had the bright idea that he and his sister, who had now finished her studies and was working in Timaru, should buy a house together. For him, it was not hard to get the money together because he had a good savings habit, plus a good income. Without much thought, and certainly no financial planning, he thought this was a worthy investment and paid $20,000, which was his half of the deposit, on a three-bedroom brick, tidy enough house in Timaru. If he recalls correctly, he thinks the house was worth maybe $200,000 and it was an interest-only mortgage and his sister got flatmates in to pay rent to go towards the mortgage and all up, Brendan stayed just one night in this place. His memory of the time was basically, here's some money, I don't really care what you do here. He had no interest in playing the landlord, that kind of hassle was just not for him and he was just helping his sister out and he figured he was not going to lose money on the purchase. Well, the property was sold three to four years later, and yeah, well, he didn't make any money in it. He pretty much just made interest on his $20,000, which is a good reminder that you actually don't always make money in real estate. He had other irons in the fire, and in mid-09, he got on a plane and he headed overseas. He had accrued three months of holiday pay, so he had an extra boost to send him on his way, and with his very last paycheck, his student loan was paid in full, chapter closed. He travelled without working, just living a simple life on his savings for the next year, staying with family, seeing friends and most importantly seeing the sights. And into his second year he ended up in Canada on a working holiday visa. He was skiing in winter and mountain biking in summer. He signed up with an employment agency doing things like labouring jobs, making bagels of all things, cleaning hotel rooms and then he ended up working in a cement factory and they ended up employing him directly. He was making enough to live and save a little, no grand scheme, just a good working holiday. All the while though, he had his spreadsheet and he kept tracking his spending and as long as he was spending less than he was earning, he was golden. And he managed an epic biking adventure with his auntie when she came over for a visit, which I thought was pretty cool. 
After two years of travel and odd jobbing, he went back to the UK with a view to get a real job. In the south of England, he began working as a process engineer, earning about 70000 New Zealand dollars. Plus, he was able to join their pension scheme. He only worked seven hours a day. He was flatting, so had low living costs. Plus, he had time to travel and do bike trips. He said he had no plans, no goals. He was just enjoying being overseas and spending time with friends and family, biking, taking overseas trips from the UK. And it was on one such trip at the end of 2013 when he had shot over to do a 10-day bike tour of New England in the US and he was on his way back home that he realised just how much money and time he was spending flying all over the place. It was during this trip that he stumbled upon the blog called Mr Money Mustache and that really set him in motion for the years ahead. By now he had been away from Aotearoa for about four and a half years and it hit him that he should probably be doing something a bit more focused. He was 31, still single, and doing whatever he wanted just because he could. Maybe he thought he should consider this a bit more, so he dove deep into the Mr Money Mustache blogs. But before he could even contemplate what his new direction might be, the universe stepped in to surprise him, as it often does. His company announced they were closing the factory, which came as a bit of a shock to all involved. While workers were laid off pretty quick, he was kept on for another six months to decommission the plant. When his redundancy time came in mid-2014, he was handsomely rewarded though with an additional six months of pay. And it turns out that decommissioning a plant is boring work and he had a lot of hours in the day to kill. So he used his time to devour all things personal finance, plus he learned Italian. The Mr Money Mustache blog was started in 2011 and Brendan read author and early retiree Pete Adonis' entire back catalogue, learning all he could about the concept of FIRE, financially independent, retired early. It was a real eye-opener to learn that you don't actually have to work until you are 65. He regrets that he can't recall who put him onto it, but if he could, he would thank them profusely because they really did change the course of his life. Although he had originally thought he might remain overseas a little longer, this was the motivator to come home and he managed to pack in a few more countries on his way back because by now he was seriously into bikepacking, which is when you carry the minimal amount of gear on your bike and head off into the hills looking for adventure. Suddenly things started to click together and it all made such a lot of sense and it gave him purpose and a goal to aim for. He came back to New Zealand at the end of 2014 and he tallied up his net worth. New Zealand super from his first job, the money from the Timaru house, redundancy from his UK job, and those two ING managed funds still had money in them. All up, he had about $100,000 and no debt. Not too bad, he thought, for someone who had not even tried and had managed to travel and see so much of the world. He set about enacting his plan, which is pretty simple, like all the best plans should be. Get a job in the regions buy a house, pay it off as soon as possible, then save and invest. In mid-2015, he found a job in the same field again as a process engineer in the regions, this time in Napier. And can I just give a big shout out to the regions of Aotearoa? Time and again, I've spoken with people who have left the major cities of New Zealand and they have found fulfilling careers, a better way of life and a better housing market than some of our big cities are offering. So please don't discount moving somewhere else to get ahead. 
Within six weeks of getting to Napier, he bought a house. He was looking to find a home around the $300,000 mark, but at that time the market was just starting to kick up as people moved south from Auckland, pushing up prices, and the lower end of the market was very, very competitive. He missed out on a few, but then he found a private sale, three-bedroom, solid house, for which he paid $395,000. Of his $100,000, he used $94,000 for his deposit, and he took on a $301,000 mortgage. He did end up with a house bigger than what a single guy needed, and with a mortgage $100,000 more than he ideally wanted, but the house was in a good location, and it proved to be a really good place to live. Quite soon after getting back, he also went ahead and bought his UK pension over here, timing it well with the exchange rate. He used NZX-owned company Superlife to bring it over, and from his three and a bit years of work, the balance currently sits at $40,000 and is locked in. He doesn't add to it at all, he just lets it sit in a mix of 25% of New Zealand 50 and 75% overseas shares. His new salary was $102,000 and after his 3% KiwiSaver deductions and tax and what have you, his take-home pay was about $70,000 annually. He was not saving or investing anywhere else outside of his KiwiSaver, which is with simplicity in a growth fund. It was all about debt reduction as fast as possible. Now in his early 30s, he was done with flatmates by this time and he enjoyed his own company. And despite covering all the bills himself, he kept his costs down to about $20,000 a year, an amount that would make any Mustachian very proud indeed. He settled into smashing out his mortgage with an achievable goal to pay it off by his 40th birthday, which was at that point just six and a half years away. He structured his BNZ mortgage by splitting it into three parts and staggering the terms. Number one, it was $151,000 on a two-year fixed term at 4.5%. Number two was $100,000 on a one-year fixed term at 4.39%. And number three was fifty dollars on a floating offset account starting at 4.9% interest rate. His plan was to put a minimum of $3,000 a month towards his debt. At the same time, he put more into the offset account which lowered his interest payments, and his idea was that this could act as an emergency fund if he needed it. In his first year, he managed to pay about 4200 a month on his mortgage, or 50400 for the year, and his intention was to stick to this plan, but as the years ticked on and he got pay increases, he actually got his payments up to about $60,000 a year. His annual saving or debt payoff rate was between 60 and 75%, now this would get a big thumbs up from the fire community, as the goal is to get this percentage as high as possible, which I'm pleased to report he more or less did, always generally keeping pretty close to his goal. That's the thing about goals, when you finally have the mind to set them, you are more likely to achieve them. As each mortgage term expired, he would take the money out of the offset account and pay off a lump sum of whatever was coming up for renewal, and then refix it for another two years. He just kept chunking on his debt and was fortunate in the fact that during this time mortgage interest rates also kept going down. When he started his mortgage he was paying about $1,000 a month in interest and in his mind he considered this to be his rent but this amount quickly decreased as he aggressively paid off the principal of his loan. He knows all of this of course because he kept tracking his money in his spreadsheet. He showed it to me while we were chatting. And all I will say is that the beauty of a homemade spreadsheet is that it makes complete sense 
to the user and creator of it. It was pretty intense. It didn't surprise me that this guy who likes math, who finds that math comes quite easily to him, kind of found this debt payoff period kind of fun. He saw it as a good challenge, seeing where he could cut costs and earn more money to get him to his goal faster. He bought a second-hand road bike and cycled 16Ks to and from work for exercise and to save on fuel. He said that some of his colleagues actually thought he didn't even own a car, but he did. It was an extremely reliable 09 1.5-litre Corolla. He said it was gutless, but cheap to run, cheap to service, and it fits his bicycle. He also bought a town bike for going out to grab his shopping, meaning a month or so would go by before he even needed to fuel up his car. So what did he live on each week? Brendan said he has always been very good at just naturally adjusting spending to fit the situation. He can be very frugal, but he also spends when needed. And while he does make a budget, he's not always the best at sticking to it. But because he just doesn't have an excessive lifestyle and he had a good salary, for which he feels fortunate, he was always more than comfortable. A year into home ownership, he did start to Airbnb a spare room in his house for cycle tourists. It was a little bit of extra income and a bit of extra work, but he enjoyed meeting up with people with similar interests to himself. He had to stop this when COVID came along, but these guests helped pay for the paint for his house and for his new roof, and income from it probably totaled about 16000 all up. Plus, his salary increased over time as well. 2021, the year he quit, was actually his highest earning year of $138,000 because he had moved into a different role and taken on more responsibility. With his newfound knowledge of early retirement, from mid-May 2018, he added a new tab to his spreadsheet and he started to track his net worth. Given that he was managing to live on just $20,000 a year based on the premise of multiplying your annual expenses by 25, he figured he would need about $500,000 invested before he could retire. Now, let's just dwell on this $20,000 for a moment because I don't know about you, but I don't think I would have a hope of living on that small amount. But Brendan is a single guy, and although he would not refer to himself as a minimalist, he did concur that some might. Bike touring and packing all you need to run your life for a couple of weeks on one small bike, it showed him that he didn't really need that much. He is happy to spend money on things that are useful and last, but not on decorative stuff. It just doesn't matter to him. He buys secondhand when he can and gets his enjoyment out of doing things, not buying things. When he was working and living in Napier, he might spend about $75 a month dining out. Otherwise, he eats in, either by himself or with friends. And for the last five years, he has consistently spent just $100 a week on food, shopping at the farmer's market and going to the supermarket for the extras that you couldn't get at the market. Now that he's moved to central Otago where he doesn't have the convenience of a weekend market, he is still settling into a new grocery shopping routine, but I think you can be sure it will remain low. When I asked him what the most extravagant thing was that he had purchased for himself in the last 90 days, it was not an item he bought, it was a week-long bikepacking trip around central Otago, Southland and Fiordland at the start of February where they ate far better than he expected and spent fewer nights camping in the wilds than he was expecting. But back to Napier, and back to his mortgage again, in a familiar story, his house started to shoot up in value, and he was pretty chuffed when his house was apparently worth $500,000. He stuck to his plan, though, to keep smashing debt. He had always wanted to be closer to his parents and his sister, who were all down here in the South Island, 
And when a system moved into my area, central Otago, and onto a quite remote property with a bit of land, Brendan started to read up about tiny homes, realising that he didn't need that much space at all. His three-bedroom home was far bigger than what he actually needed. So because he could see that the math was starting to work out, he began to plan for life on the other side of financial independence, realising he wanted to split his time between central Otago in the summer and then head overseas with his bike when it got too cold here, travelling for cheap and seeing the world. So his plan became, once he had paid off his home, he would sell it and take the cash. He no longer needed a big house, and being unattached, he didn't need anything permanent either, nor did he want capital tied up in a house, which is the problem most people who want to retire find. His timeline to fire got shorter and shorter. His original thought was to get the house paid off by 40, then start investing and maybe have enough invested so that he could pull an income off it by the time he was 45. But he was not betting on his house going up in value so much, nor COVID happening and all travel stopping. During 2020, he was hard at work with about $5,000 going on his mortgage each month, but he was beginning to tire of his job. It was okay and it was a means to an end, but he was beginning to think, hmm, might not need to work much past 40 at this rate. As 2021 rolled around, he started saying out loud for the first time, I'm going to retire at 40. All the while, his house kept going up in value. But as 2020 became 2021, his year turned into a bit of a shitter, he said. He was pretty cut up when a relationship ended. He was just tolerating work. He was having trouble sleeping. We were going through lockdowns. And above all else, his energy levels were sinking lower and lower. And to top it off, his bike got stolen. There was something wrong with him. He couldn't work out why he was just so damn tired all the time. And this normally super active guy found he was running on empty. It took a bit of time to get answers, but eventually he was actually diagnosed with hemochromatosis. It's a genetic condition where basically he said your body absorbs too much iron instead of regulating it, giving you similar symptoms to if you had low iron. He said he got bore out, as in B-O-R-E, bore out. He was completely disengaged at work. It's similar to burnout. Look it up if you haven't heard of it. By this stage, when the poor guy would rather be asleep on the sofa than working, he realised he was only really staying at work to tick off that last mortgage payment. It was down to his last $8,000. But ultimately, he decided that it was just not worth putting so much pressure on his physical and mental health and he reached a tipping point of feeling he just couldn't go to work anymore, facing another summer working inside, when all he really wanted to be doing was being outside running and riding. So he resigned from his job in July and ended his short working life in late September of 2021, and I asked how it went down with his colleagues. What did he tell them? He spent his last three months at work with people asking him what he was going to be doing next. Taking a break was his answer. Some knew he was retiring, which I'm sure got a few people thinking, and most were shocked. But few have talked to him about it, although he does have a number of good friends he can talk money with. And here's a tip. If you have a colleague saying they are retiring at the age of 39, you should ask them this question. Can I take you out for a coffee so you can share with me a little about how you have managed this? I mean, what an opportunity to learn. And in my experience, people will willingly share. So he resigned in July 2021, put his house on the market in August, and finished up his three-month notice period in September. 
His house actually went on the market the day the country went into a lockdown, so there were no open homes in the end and just a few viewings. And although he tossed up the idea of selling it privately, as he had purchased it privately, he went with an agent in the end, with the final price being $880,000. In six years, it had more than doubled in value, and he was now debt-free for the second time in his life. It's this that he credits as one of his biggest financial triumphs. And rightly so, he was pretty pleased with himself to have stuck to such an ambitious debt payoff strategy. He obviously realised that good luck and timing played a big part, but his systematic discipline about paying off his debt, instead of mucking around and making minimum payments while waiting for his house to go up in value, meant that he came out with a far larger chunk of cash than many others would have. He really didn't want to work anymore, and now he didn't have to. So, with the pressure off and a health diagnosis he could work with, he began the next phase of his life. Napier had been really good to him. It's a wonderful place, he said. And through those six years of working and that aggressive debt payoff, he didn't feel that he missed out on anything, managing lots of domestic and international travel during those years. So, where does someone with over $800,000 put their money so that they can use it to live off for the next 50 years? Because for early retirees, Leaving it in a bank is simply not an option. As his mortgage payoff increased, his education of what to do with money after retirement increased. It's kind of like Brendan researched stuff on an as-needed basis, which is a fantastic idea so as not to overwhelm yourself. In 2021, he decided to read up about index fund investing, a way of investing in the share market without having to pick stocks. He read J.L. Collins' The Simple Path to Wealth, which is hands down one of my favourite books on this topic. And so while I'm on the topic, where did he find information and does he have any to share? He said that Mr. Money Mustache was all he really needed to get him going. That was enough to open up his eyes to the possibilities of working towards a financial goal. He will read occasional articles for interest's sake, but things are pretty straightforward now. Now that he can tick off his money as being sorted, he's far more interested in working on learning new practical skills. He settled on putting his money in a New Zealand-administered index tracking fund. It's not an index fund, but it's a low-fee, extremely diversified fund made up of international and Australian equities, international and New Zealand fixed interest, and a little bit of cash. He didn't want me to share the exact details. He invested 750000 in December 2021, and that is just going to sit there. He has no plans to touch it, nor is he interested in chasing money around chopping and changing his investment mix. He just has better things to do with his time, he said. When we spoke in late March of 2022, the value had dropped down as low as $708,000, and although slightly miffed, he was completely relaxed about it going up over time. He looks at the balance just once a month when he updates his spreadsheet. He does not need to draw on this money, and it draws zero emotion out of him when he talks about it. This nonchalant attitude comes from the education he did prior to investing. He knows it will go up and down, but over time it will trend up. And put simply, if push came to shove, he can always go back to work, right? He also put $50,000 in a more conservative fund with the same company. It has a lower risk level and is invested in fewer equities because they are the more volatile part, and it has more fixed interest. He did this because he may want to use this money within the next two years to build a small cabin on his sister's land. When we spoke, the current value of this fund had dropped a little down to 48200 
The common advice you will hear from investment professionals is that you don't put money in the share market that you will need in the short term. His large investment is case in point. A $42,000 drop in value might come at exactly the wrong time if you're about to put an offer on a house. So Brendan has invested a smaller amount in a much more conservative fund because the highs and lows will be less due to the risk profile of the fund being lower. He might have just leaned towards just having that money in the bank, but the building of the cabin may or may not even happen, so he was prepared to take that small risk. He keeps a couple of thousand in his current account, and he pulls some over from his bank's savings account if needed, and he doesn't keep a specific amount set aside as an emergency fund. He figures he has enough to call on if needed. From the sale of his property, he paid off his remaining mortgage of $8,000. He paid for the real estate agent, solicitor fees, and moving all his gear south. All up, he said that at best, once he had totted up all of his KiwiSaver, his superannuation, etc., his net worth on paper, it got to about $986,000. It's dropped back a bit from that now, but he said he honestly doesn't care. If you apply the 4% rule to those just those two large investments alone, that gives him over $30,000 a year he could draw off and live on, which is more than he needs, so he is right to feel relaxed about things. So when I asked him what he would do if he were given $10,000 right now, he literally just shrugged and he says, I'd probably just put it in the bank, nothing special. He said that money is not really an issue now. And I just love this nonchalance. He wasn't being smug about it at all. He is just admitting that through a lot of hard work and a bit of luck, he has managed to solve the money puzzle for himself. Now that this is sorted, he just wants to go about living the life he wants. After six months of moving about, having adventures and basing himself with friends and whanau, more recently he has decided to get a place of his own, paying $250 a week for a lovely small cottage in a small central Otago town. As I am, he is surrounded by lots of biking trails, running trails and conservation areas. He still barely uses his car, preferring to bike, and he keeps an eye on his spending as he always has. So I asked him if he was missing having a home of his own. No, he does not miss the work nor the bills associated with home ownership. He managed to get rid of a number of insurance plans now that he doesn't own a home and currently he only has his third party insurance on his car and his contents and medical insurance. Pretty simple. A key part of his plan remains not to buy land but instead to build a small but legal dwelling on his sister's property that can accommodate him. It's only going to be very small, as he figured that he didn't use most of his old three-bedroom house anyway, and by doing it this way, he can lock it up and leave it and head off on his own, whether that be around New Zealand or off overseas. Now, when I mentioned to a few people that I'd be speaking with Brendan and that he had stopped working at such a young age, many said with emphasis on the I, I would be bored. Now, I can confirm that there is no chance of Brendan getting bored. And people like him are what small communities always need. He wants to learn some new skills. He wants to see if he can build his own cabin. And he wants to give a lending hand if someone needs it. He already helps out family with childminding. And he thinks it's pretty cool that he can hang out with his young nephews. He takes his duties as uncle quite seriously. And as well as nephew sitting, he has also been investing on their behalf since they were born. And he's looking forward to the conversations with his nephews in the years to come and he wants to be that knowledgeable adult who can teach them some useful money skills. And due to having the time, he also puts his hand up if someone needs help, whether that be voluntary or paid, which they did on the day we spoke. A local hotel needed staff for the night, 
and it's short notice. So he said, yep, I'll help out. It was evening work, meaning he could come into town and chat to me, maybe even squeeze in a run or a bike ride. He had no idea what hours they needed him for, even less of an idea about what they might be paying. He figured he would help out and any income can go towards his rent for that week. It's a win-win situation all round. Probably one of the bigger questions though would be, is he happy with this new phase of life? After all, most other 39-year-olds he meets who are not working would be called unemployed, and society tends to frown on them. So he is in a very unique position. He's only just settling into this new phase, and the last six months have brought much change, he said. Not working, trying to get his iron levels down to a normal level and get his health back, leaving his home of six years and all the friends, the familiarity and the routine, not having a home with his name on the title, and collectively it was quite unsettling and it didn't always bring happiness. It was both exciting and daunting, he said. But when we spoke, he's now got a little picture-perfect cottage to call home, his iron levels are down, he has the time to spend with and support his family, whom he's really close to, he can go for rides or runs and have adventures, So the answer was yes, he thinks this is bringing him happiness. All in all, it's pretty good, he said. Although doing so well out of his house sale was a triumph for sure, probably the more rewarding personal win was reaching financial independence in just six short years, given that he originally thought it would take quite a bit longer. So what advice would he have for you and I then? His regret is the same as most I speak with. He wished he had known the stuff in his 20s. He said that he didn't do an awful job in his 20s, but it would have been good to know this because given he was good at saving anyway, it could have made him more focused and given him a monetary goal to aim for instead of ambling along as he did. So if Brendan could retain all of the knowledge he has now regarding money and he could go back to his 15-year-old self and start all over again, what would he do, whether it be the same or something different? It would be different, he said. And he guessed it comes down to setting more goals and working towards them, because he has found out just what he can achieve by doing so. Having goals in mind would have accelerated his savings rate, and he probably would have worked more in part-time jobs throughout university, had a much smaller student loan, bought and paid off a house earlier and then travelled, rather than paying off a student loan, then travelling and inadvertently having a 25% house deposit when he returned to New Zealand. But It's not a big regret, being a natural saver set him up well, and he's still got to travel a fair bit and continue to have adventures and spend time with his friends and family. So his advice to others is as well as always spending less than you earn, and please do stop buying so much stuff, it's also worth taking the time to sit down and set yourself some goals and then work out what you can do to get there. Do you need to cut your expenses and start to live on a budget you have created and earn more money perhaps? And the biggie is no consumer debt. Avoid it like it's COVID. He has never had any consumer debt and he sees it as a big waste of money. He's said to just live simply. There's far less to worry about and it frees up much more time and money. Now, before I wrap up, I just have another quick message from Pocketsmith, today's sponsor. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, they've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. Considering that back in 2021, Brendan had a weird medical condition. He was trying to get his head around a recent breakup and stress weighing him down from overwork, meaning he was struggling to sleep. 
When I asked him the question of what keeps him up at night in regards to money, he simply said, nothing. Now, I know money won't solve all your problems, but having your financial life sorted sure does help because it just takes the pressure off. And in his case, he just feels completely comfortable with the position he's worked himself into. It's given him room to focus on and fix the other parts that needed work, like his health. And I love how his situation is different from most and the fact that getting rid of his home is what made him fi or financially independent. There are many ways to live a life. Housing can be a means to an end instead of the end goal. He said he felt so privileged in so many ways to have had the opportunity to get to where he is. It's taken a bit of work, thought, sacrifice and discipline, he said, but he considers himself so fortunate to now say that his time is his own to do with as he sees fit. He did want to acknowledge that with no family to support, it might have been easier to achieve his goals, but I don't want anyone listening to this to think that because they are in a relationship or they have tamariki, that they can't do it too. The point with Brendan is that upon taking on new information about fire, he just decided that this was for him and he was going to do it. And he did. There is no reason at all that couples and those with kids can't do this too. You just have to decide that this is what you want and be prepared to chase it. So thanks so much for chatting to me, Brendan. He wondered how I would manage to make our chat interesting. I didn't doubt for a moment that it would be anything but inspiring to others. And I'm stoked that he has washed up in my part of the world. It's really motivating for me to see someone living out what Johnny, myself and our daughter are also trying to achieve. It takes it from the theory that you read about in books and blogs, which are often US-based, and it puts it into practice right here in little old Aotearoa. So that's all from me this week. And if you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com. And I would love it if you could leave me a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And please do share it with your friends. It is the best way that people can learn about the podcast. And I would love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and whanau and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving. <laughs>